is something that is a little bit different, something I've never preached on before, but over the last, I think, several months, I've been able to um, just pastor and I having some heart-to-heart conversations and the topic coming up, um, and something that um, I'm a little nervous to deal with, honestly, but I'm also very burdened about and passionate about as well. And so as we look at this, um, my prayer this morning is one of us would see our responsibility for training the next generation. Um, And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I have entitled it A Smooth Handoff. Now, when I was thinking of it, yeah, football kind of came to mind. Um, But I'm kind of thinking of a relay race, right? How many of you like to run? Okay, there are more than I thought, honestly, okay? Um, I I am not a huge fan of running. Uh, When I was in college... I like the sports that are contact sports and things like that. I loved baseball because you didn't have to run that much, right? Um, But when I was in college, I remember meeting a young lady that I desired to get to know a little bit more. And I'm sure you've seen her around since we've moved here because she's my wife now. Um, And I attest that to one small thing that I did when I first got to know her. Um, I met her. The first thing I noticed about her was her smile. Um, And I couldn't stay away from that smile. And so I started to talk to people that knew her and was trying to figure out her likes and dislikes, right? What does she like to do? Um, What are some things that I can do to make her better like me, whatever it might be? And I remember calling my older brother. He had overlapped in school with her a little bit. And he said, you know, the one thing that I remember about her was that she loves to run. Uh, She would play soccer. She's running outside when the the weather's nice. She was running on the treadmills. And immediately, I was determined that I was going to be a runner, all right? And so that year, um, I was like, okay, I'm getting to know her, just small talk things. I'm talking to her every once in a while. But I was, during that time, I was training. I was like, I am going to train myself, and one day I'm going to ask her to go on a run with me. It'll be like our first little date, right? We're going to go on a run together. And so I'm training behind the scenes. I'm going up to the gym. I'm going to the treadmill. And I am feeling pretty good about myself because it took me about three months to run a mile without taking a break. If you're a runner, you know that's not very great. And so I'm training and I got to the point, I I still remember the day, I hit the mile mark. I didn't stop and walk the whole time. And I was so happy. I was like, I felt accomplished. And so I went to her the next day. I was like, hey, do you want to run? The weather's nice. It's spring now. And she was like, yeah, that would be great. And I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to impress her because I can run a mile without stopping. And so we go outside, um, and there's a difference between the two of us. When I was training to run, it it was just exhausting. I could not think about anything else around me. Now, Emily, Miss Emily, loved to look at everything around her when she was running, and she loved to talk when she was running. And I cannot coordinate the three, okay? And so we are, we're starting to run, we leave campus, and she is, she's talking next to me, and I'm giving her short word answers like, yes, yes, things, and she's just chatting, and I'm like, how is she so composed right now? So we're running, and we're running, and I'm like, I'm looking down at my phone because I'm tracking how far we're going, and I'm exhausted, I'm like, okay, half a mile, all right? I'm, st- I can, I'm, I'm not dead yet, I'm still going to keep going. Um, And so we're running, and it came time, and we hit a mile, and I was like, all right, we're good. I impressed her, but she's still running. And and so I was like, oh, boy, and I am just exhausted at this point. 
So I keep running. It's really embarrassing. We ran about a mile and a quarter, and I, I had to tell the girl I had a crush on that I had to stop. Uh, she's, still, she's still talking, she's still, and she was, she was kind of played what I thought would be my role, comforting me and be like, yeah, we'll take a break. She's like not even breathing heavily, and I'm buckled over. Um, so I am not a big runner at all. We ended up, I think, walking the majority of the way back to, to school, to campus. When I think of smooth handoff, I think of a relay race. You know what a relay race is, right? You've seen maybe the Olympics or maybe uh, you've had a child or grandchild do it or seen it in a WANA club or something like that, um, where there are multiple people participating in a team on a race, and the transition is a handoff of what they call maybe a baton, all right? And you hand it off to the next runner, and they're sprinting. The thing about a relay race that I didn't really realize when I watch it is that most runners will say that the hardest part of the race is getting the perfect handoff to the next runner. And to me, that is absurd. I'm like, no, the hardest part of the race is running, okay? I've tried that. That's the hardest part of the race. But many runners, if you were to ask them, they would say, you know what? There were times when I thought I ran a great leg of the race. I mean, it was just a perfect leg of the race on my end. But really, that didn't make or break the race. It was the handoff that made, made or, or broke what the main goal was, which was to win the race. And so as you look at a relay race, you have to learn not to slow down when you're passing the baton off, and you have to learn how to strategically and carefully pass on the baton, so not to fumble it during the handoff and not to lose time, and not to skip a beat, you might say, to give your team the best chance of having victory. And they would say that, the, that what they work on the most is probably that handoff when they're getting ready for the race. Today, as we look at this discussion, unfortunately, the baton that we'll be discussing has been fumbled and dropped too often throughout history. And I believe it is in real danger of being fumbled and dropped today as well. Over the years, uh, my wife and I, Emily, we've been blessed to be a part of several different churches and ministries. The last four years, um, we've been a part of three different churches. Um, and so some people look at that as a negative thing. We are blessed to have been a part of those ministries um, and see that. And we are so grateful for our home now here at Eagle Heights. Um, but there's one thing that I've seen as I've been able to go to ministries. And it's, it's something that I think is a very common temptation that's taking over churches today. And I want you to listen carefully to this mentality that I see in churches. It's the attitude that I need to finish my race. Wait on, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? That's biblical, right? Paul says he's going to finish his race strong. So, so what is wrong with that? Well, here's the difference. When Paul says, I am finishing my race, the emphasis is on the race, the work of glorifying God. The work of making Christ manifested. The temptation that I see today is I'm finishing my race with an emphasis on my. But part of your race is investing in other people. And the temptation I see today is I need to do my devotions. I need to be in church. I need to pray. And yes, that is part of your race. But vital to your race and the race of the Christian life is that the name of Christ is manifested. And that's passed on through generations. You see, when we look at this, we have to realize 
that this is a topic that may seem small and insignificant, but the effects are becoming detrimental to the name of Christ. The temptation that I see in Christians is saying that I will finish my race, not that I will finish my race. You know what is hard to get a passion for? The future. It's easy to get excited about the future, but to have a passion for something that I'm not going to be alive for or I'm never going to experience, why would I put work into that, right? That's hard to live my life with a passion for something that I'm not going to be a part of. Right? It really is. We can say that we're excited about it, but the passion and the drive for it and the work put into it is a little different than something that we can put work into and experience right now, right? So the future is hard to have a burden for. You know, over generations, sometimes as generations go on in your family, love grows, right? You have your kids and you love your kids, but then grandkids come and you love your grandkids, right? I remember um, one of the first times my mom and dad came home when we had baby Emerald at our home. And I remember my dad coming in and looking at Emerald and he's saying, oh, you're just so perfect. Your parents better never spank you. And I was like, where was that attitude when I was a child, right? Um, something is different here. So sometimes in the family, right, love grows with each generation. But there's something in churches today that, if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably admit, and that is with each generation gone by, there's more and more disconnect, right? Because more generations come And I'm kind of, in my generation, I have a lot to talk about, a lot of familiar things going on in my time of life right now. And as generations go on, there's more and more disconnect. The next generation, the future of the church, if you looked around America on average, we wouldn't be shouting and screaming in the praises of those that are coming after us. Overall. Now I'd like to take a moment and say we have great teenagers here and kids here. And if they continue to let the Lord use them, and give their life over to the Lord, he's going to use them in an amazing way. But this is something that's happening in our circles today. Look around the room today, adults. You'll see children. You'll see teenagers. Is it satisfying to you that statistics say that over half of them won't be in church after college? Is that satisfying? Last Sunday, we had Jim Shetler here. He was able to speak to teens in Sunday school. And at the end, he was speaking on giving your all for Christ, giving everything you have for a purpose that we would say, yes, that is what you should give your all for. And at the end, he gave an invitation and said, stand up uh, if you want to give your all for Christ. And every single teenager in the room stood up. What are we doing to train the next generation? The heart's there. The teenagers want to please the Lord. What is our responsibility in training the next generation? Smooth handoff, strategically and diligently and thoroughly passing the baton of Christianity to the next generation. We have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to pass on the baton with the effort and care like our life depended on it. Why? Because the name of Christ depends on it. The ministry of Christ depends on it after our time. A saying that I like when I think about this is by Mike Bullmore. Now, I don't agree with everything he says, but I think he he puts this very um, 
well. Necessary to our gospel ministry is an investment in the gospel ministry that will come after ours. That's necessary to our, that's part of our race. That's part of our Christian life. And throughout all of scripture, we find the principles of teaching the next generation. So here in Judges chapter 2, we see a problem. Something happened between generations. You know, if we were to look at some books before the book of Judges, we would see that God already gave them a plan or blueprints to have a successful handoff to the next generation. We would find them in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verses 9 through 10 says this, Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, just a couple of chapters over, says this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. As we look at this topic um, this week and next week, the bulk of our study is really going to be what are we teaching them? What does God want us to teach them? But this morning, we're going to look at the responsibility. Tonight, we'll get into the um, topics of what we are to teach them. But for sake of the, just clarity this morning, overall, what we are to teach them is to love Christ and to appreciate and love the local church. We're to teach them that. That's our responsibility. Now, we're going to look at several different things in more detail with that tonight and next week. But the first thing that I see is that, like it or not, it is your, it is my responsibility on this passing on of the baton to the next generation. Every single one of us in here, it's our responsibility. Now, the roles are different. We're going to look at that. But we have a responsibility to the next generation. Now, when we look at several of these passages, right, it's not going to clarify teenagers. It's not going to clarify elementary students. It's going to say younger or children, right? It's a generational thing. And so we could look at this and apply it to younger families, younger parents. We could do that. And all of these truths are, would match up exactly what God wants us to do. But today and next week, we are talking about our teenagers, our college students, the kids in this church. How are we training that generation? So like it or not, it is your responsibility. You're responsible for it. Uh, when I think of responsibility, I think of the first time growing up that I was given responsibility, right? As a young man, as kind of a proud moment, right? My parents trusted me with something. It was actually here at Worlds of Fun, and our family was out there, and I have younger siblings, three younger siblings than me, and the family wanted to split a little bit. It was split off to the, the crazy family members that wanted to ride all the rides. I was not a part of that because I'm terrified. And the more sane family members, right, that just wanted to do the ones that didn't leave the ground. Um, and so um, everybody pretty much wanted to go on the rides except myself. And I remember my younger sister was too little uh, to ride on many of the rides. And I remember they got on the ride and my dad looked at me and he said, you are responsible for her. And I was like, oh, I'm a man now, right? I, I am respon oh, I am responsible. Where'd she go? Where'd she go, right? In two seconds. 
Um, and so I remember responsibility, all right, being responsible for something. Whose responsibility is it to teach and invest in the next generation of believers? Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that question. And some of these may seem obvious to us, but all of these are clearly biblical. All right, the first one that is probably the most obvious is our parents, right? Parents are responsible, have the responsibility of training the next generation. In fact, possibly the most important one, because you spend the most time with them, have the greatest effect on them, it is your ministry. Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Ephesians 6.4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Psalm 127.3-4, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Talking about an arrow pointing them towards the target and guiding them before you let it go in the right direction. All right, so parents are responsible for this training of the next generation, right? Parents here today, you have the responsibility of teaching the next generation. God has gifted you with an opportunity to be able to teach and invest in the next generation of Christians. God has given you direct access in many ways to this command of teaching the next generation. It's not something to take lightly. This is a serious responsibility. If the baton is fumbled between a parent and a child, you can pray as hard as you want. You can get a youth pastor in the church or a youth leader and have somebody do Sunday school and Wednesday night and events. But if the baton is fumbled between the parents and their children, it's hard to recover from that. You have a huge responsibility the impact in their lives. You may have the biggest responsibility because you will have the greatest effect. So I hope you don't take that lightly. But that you're parenting with care and effort and diligence. When in doubt, stay on the safe side because it's that important. Your responsibility is too great to take lightly. But not just parents... Pastors have a role as well. Looks a little different, right? All right. Don't think for a minute here that Pastor Joe is saying that you should parent another ch- uh, parent's child, right? That's not where we're going with this. But there's different roles, and each of us have the responsibility. So God is calling every parent today to the responsibility of teaching and training the next generation. But He's also calling pastors. Ephesians four eleven through twelve, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And some pastors, and if you looked on, it would say it's to the teaching of the ministry, perfecting of the saints. Second Timothy 2, 2, And these things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Second Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. First Timothy 4, 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And then you could look through Titus as well. These are just a few passages. So parents have the responsibility of training the next generations, but so do pastors. 
All right, it looks a little different than parents. A pastor has a very unique opportunity and responsibility to teach the next generation. We have a pulpit ministry, is what we would call it. The ability to give the next generation opportunities. The ability to be personal with the next generation. Every pastor, youth pastor, assistant pastor, head pastor, whatever you want to call them, should have a desire to see godly leaders raised up from our churches. Not just have a desire for that, but to actually put in work into it. Paul tells Timothy, a pastor in training, to train up the next generation of Christian leaders. To give them the appropriate theology and doctrine and tools to be successful in the Christian life. Pastors have a unique but the same responsibility to train the next generation. So I want to challenge us pastors today to be personal and practical with how we teach the next generation from the pulpit. Yes, but also as we have opportunities at church and school and outside of here to be training with the way that we live our lives as well. And then finally, this is a more broad one, laymen and women in the church. This would be anyone who wouldn't hold a position of leadership in the church. It would cover everyone, okay? So no one is left out here this morning. And we really see this principle brought out throughout Scripture. Really, this is what Paul is doing to Timothy when he's writing to Timothy. Um, but we see this principle in Titus 2 through, uh, 2, 2 through 6 is one of the clearest passages we see it in. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed, young men likewise exhort to be sober. So this responsibility is clear through the Bible. It's the exact same responsibility we see God giving uh, to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. That the older generation train the younger generation. Parents have a unique responsibility in that. They're your children. Pastors have a unique responsibility in that. But so do all of us. There's a part of this that we all can partake in. So Paul refers to outside teachers even in Acts chapter 22 when he speaks of Gamaliel, his mentor. And in Galatians 4 when he speaks of having outside tutors or governors as a source to help train the next generation. And even in the Old Testament they practice this as well in 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 32. And the same principle is brought out in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 when it says to invest in younger Christians. So the senior saints, the young parents, the college graduates, and everyone in between, God tells you to play a role in training the next generation. And it's important. You see, as a Christian, our Christian race involves us training the next generation to take the baton and be victorious for Christ. And each one of us in here today have a unique role in doing that. We all have a role to play in the careful and diligent passing of the baton Pastor and I have a unique role that others don't have. Parents have a unique role that others don't have. And laymen and women have a unique role that other people don't have. So as we look at that, we need everyone teaching the next generation. The moment parents become lack, or teachers, or laymen and women, or pastors, is the moment the baton starts to be fumbled. 
And it's the moment we begin to lose sight of the next generation. It can't be done without all parties in it at once. You know, you can hire a youth pastor and he can preach on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings to teens. But if it doesn't go hand in hand with how the parents are teaching their children, it's not going to go very far. And vice versa. You cannot have parents teaching their kids biblical truths of how to live their life wisely and not have it backed up by your pastors. In fact, if there is a time where Pastor Joe does not take that sacred trust seriously of conveying biblical principles and truth to your children, then you need to address that. We need to all be in the process of training the next generation. I have a unique role. You have a unique role as well. And the next generation needs us. They need us in this training and teaching of how to love Christ, of how to serve Him, and that the local church is one of the best tools we have to do that. The second thing that I see is lessons that are taught over a lifetime, but unfortunately they're ruined in single moments sometimes. So how do we teach If we look at the Hebrew word in Deuteronomy, it's the word veshinatam, which is to teach diligently or to sharpen. The Greek word is parakali, which is to exhort or encourage or to call, to train. So how do we teach the next generation? What does it look like to teach? And remember, we're teaching them to fall in love with Christ and the local church. And tonight we're going to look at many other things that are involved in that. But how do we teach the next generation? Some of you in here are teachers, right? You teach in a Christian school or you teach um, maybe substitute or whatever it might be. And so you know what teaching is, right? You are a teacher. That's what you're called. There are multiple ways, though, that we teach, right? I'm sure teachers would agree with that. There are multiple ways that we teach something or a concept to someone. So if I told a teenager, if I told teenagers today that I had my first smartphone my freshman year of college and that all of my internet access and all of my text messages and emails went straight to my parents they would probably have a heart attack right I was a freshman in college but today I praise the Lord for that because they were being strategic and diligent to the next generation that they had a responsibility to so we teach the next generation many different ways The first one should be obvious, by speaking, right? Our words. We can't teach without them, all right? Speaking. When I was in seventh grade, I was the laughing stock of our Christian school because my mom decided that I needed a speech therapist at seventh grade. Usually you have them come in preschool, kindergarten, and they work with your consonants and open your mouth wider and don't mumble your words and all these things. Well, I'm in seventh grade, And I had to have a speech therapist. But I did not mind at all because therapy is a lot different than physical therapy, right? I wasn't walking on treadmills or building up my strength. In fact, my exercises, my teacher would come in and and give me bubble gum and be like, stick five pieces in your mouth, get your jaw to open wide. She'd give me beef jerky. And I was like, what's wrong with the speech therapist? This is is weekly I'm getting these things. This is nice. Um, But so speaking, our words have a role. That's how we teach. One of the ways that we teach. One of the ways um, that we 
train the next generation. Probably this is one that comes to our mind when we talk about teaching. It takes words. So what does the Bible say about speaking as teaching? Well, we see that in our main passage, in, or one of our main passages in Deuteronomy 6, 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Proverbs fifteen twenty three, a man that hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Psalm 105, 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Colossians 4, 5 through 6, Walk in wisdom towards them that were without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. We teach by our words. Everyone in here today has a unique task of teaching the next generation with speech. Pastors, think for a second with me how a pastor's speech, or what the, a pastor's speech is in the area of teaching and training, is predominantly done. The pulpit, right? It's words are used. So from the pulpit, pastors have a unique opportunity to have a pulpit to use for teaching. Let me tell you something I think I'm thankful for. A pastor that is teaching our generation and the next generation's biblical truth of how to live godly lives. God has given pastors a unique and vitally important opportunity that is really a sacred trust. We exist to feed the shepherd, to feed the flock of God, to teach the truths that God has for each one of us in this book. I have a responsibility to the next generation that I need to never take lightly. Preparing myself and the appropriate study to preach God's truth with clarity, with power, and passion. Keep your pastors accountable to that. Laymen and women have a responsibility when it comes to the area of speaking as well. You have the responsibility to teach with your words. The next generation, whether you consider that to be young parents, teenagers, or younger, should be constantly being taught by your words. Our kids should grow up in a church where they experience people being in love with Jesus and the church. They should hear you praising Him not just your sports teams. They should hear you talk about what he means to you. Maybe for some of you, they just need to hear you talk. We talk about how there is always a gap between teens and senior saints and how teens need to be nice and outgoing. And yes, teenagers do. And before you think that I haven't um, given the teenagers responsibility, we covered that in Sunday school this morning, right, teens? About heeding instruction when it's biblical and attaching to that. But there's also a responsibility on our part to talk, to speak, to teach with our words. And really, some of us don't even recognize or know how we can teach or train because we don't know them. We don't even know their names sometimes, what grade they're in, what things they are going through, or whatever it might be. But maybe for some of us, it's just the simple step to, I'm going to purpose to start talking to the next generation. Because in doing that, I can realize what they're going through and I can be strategic with a word fitly spoken. 
Maybe that's what some of us need to apply. It's all part of teaching the next generation. And yes, parents as well. Speaking. This is the most important one. Parents or even grandparents today, you have a responsibility to teach your children by your speech. Here's the thing. It's not about are we teaching them with our words. It's what are we teaching them with what we say. Parents, you have the opportunity to talk in situations that no other person gets to. It's the car rides where a child starts to complain or say something wrong. Or the times at home where the family is around a movie or the dinner table. Those are all teachable moments. They're opportunities. And unfortunately, parents today sometimes are just letting those moments pass by. How many parents today are actually speaking about the Lord to their kids? How many parents actually correct when gossip is happening as as opposed to joining in? You have a responsibility to teach with your speech, parents. Maybe today some of you need to decide that you are going to read the Bible and pray every day with your family. That every drive home on Sunday, everyone has to name one thing that they learned from the Word of God. Instead of one thing they took wrong that the pastor said. Some parents need to not be so scared and stop shying away from your children. They need you more now than ever. There's opportunities that you guys have as parents that no one else has. And we teach the next generation. We train them by our speech. The next generation will be taught by words. So what are we teaching them? Are we showing them that it's okay to talk about Christ? That it's okay to speak about devotions? That it's awesome to be in love with Jesus? You know that we have been teaching the next generation. Boy, the sports statistics are fun to talk about. These movies, that's how real life is. Or, wow, did you see that um, this family was not in church again? The next generation is taught by our words. I hope you see the importance that your speech carries to the next generation. Our words need to be thought, uh, thought out, fitly spoken, and have purpose behind them if we're going to teach and pass on the baton of Christianity to the next generation. This should take effort, and if you aren't putting effort into it, it's probably not being done. So speaking, but another one is living, right? Or example, that's what we would say there. Example, so people learn by example, right? They learn what people do and they don't do. This weekend, my wife and I were able to visit my sister up at Maranatha, and we wanted to get her away from the college a little bit, do something fun with her, so we took her to Sky Zone. How many of you know what Sky Zone is? This is a trampoline park, all right? So it's a huge building. You walk inside, um, and it is trampoline park. I will say this, that um, I I know I'm young, but it used to be a lot more fun than it is. I am still suffering today from Sky Zone, all right? But in Sky Zone, there's many different things. They have basketball hoops you jump and you dunk on them. There's free jumping. Um, They have all these obstacles you can do. And there was a rock climbing wall. Uh, And we had about five of us there. And I was third to go on the rock climbing wall. The first person really struggled with it. And so I was watching, right? I'm watching the two in front of me of how I can succeed in getting to the top of the rock wall. And it was really hard. Um, the, the pegs were really small, made for kids. We probably weren't supposed to be on it because they were so small. Um, and so I was watching. I was like, what can I take from the people that are going before me that I can apply to be victorious in my climb, right? 
And so I'm watching. The first person didn't get very far, so I was like, well, there wasn't much to take away. And then I thought, well, that's what not to do, right? Can't do that. That didn't succeed. The person after me did it really quickly. And I was like, okay, what did they do? What route did they take? Where did they put their hand? Where did they put their foot? We teach by example. People learn by example. You have probably heard the phrase that actions speak louder than words, and it's very true. Because what takes a lifetime to teach our teens can be ruined or broken down by some of the very small moments in our life. What do I mean by that? Yes, you're teaching your kids if you make sure you have them in church every time the doors are opened. And yes, you're teaching that lifetime lesson. But that becomes regular to them, and now the teaching moments are when you decide that it's okay not to attend. It's okay not to attend church because we're busy or whatever it might be. See, those are the teaching moments. Eventually, to the children, church becomes regular. And the teaching moments are the moments we decide not to do it. The next generation sees that. We teach by example. Those are the moments that we're teaching them that something else is important over Christ. We need to be so careful with how we train up the next generation with our speech, with our living. Pastors need to be careful to live what we preach. Laymen and women need to be careful what you are teaching the next generation about the importance of church attendance or what you say and the joy of the Lord. It's a responsibility we can't take lightly. It's not just your words that are teaching the next generations. It's also our decisions and our actions. You see, parents, you make decisions in your life that are teaching your children. The things you allow your children to do freely on their devices are teaching them. You may say, well, they're 18, all right? Unfortunately, we have people from the age of 8 to 80 years old falling because of this silly thing right here. And you're going to tell me that the strategic and diligent thing to do to bring up the next generation is just give it to them without any monitoring, without any looking at it. It's like putting a ticking time bomb in an infant's hand. And I'm not saying that because teens are naive. I'm saying it because it's ruining people's lives of all ages. Where, where is staying on the safe side? We're training the next generation with our examples. Parents, the videos and vines and movies you allow your children to watch, they are teaching them. Why are we not exercising caution? The schools you choose for your children, why are we not exercising caution? Well, Pastor Starr, my child will be a light in the public school system. To that, really, you would have to say filth is a natural tendency. Holiness is not. One of the biggest responsibilities this church has that we are blessed with in teaching the next generation that we do is our school, our Christian school, right? We do that to teach the next generation. Christian values, the word of God. So maybe we should not look at it as a money pit, but an opportunity to train the next generation to proclaim the ministry of Christ after us. But it goes beyond the schools. Pastors, parents, and every adult member of this church has the responsibility of teaching and helping pass on the baton to the next generation of Christians. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's what Paul was saying. 
Philippians 4.9 says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Philippians 3.17, a chapter before. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. 2 Thessalonians 3.9, Not because we have not power, but to, to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So we teach them by speaking, we teach them by living. But another practical one is by experience, right? Most of us would say some of the best times that we have learned is by actually being able to do it with our hands. My dad's an electrician, and I would follow him to his work sometimes. But just by watching him, if he he were to say, Joe, take control, mess with all these wires, probably wasn't a great thing to do, right? But there were times when he let me experience it. And he walked me through it. And he said, all right, now put the wire here. And I was able to do it with my hands. And guess what? I remembered that a lot more than the 50 times I drove with my dad to watch him do something I didn't do myself. So just very practical. We teach by experience. Parents, how are you showing, how are you teaching the next generation to love the ministry of Christ by experience? Are they involved with you in soul winning? Are they involved with you in attending church? Are they involved with you on door-to-door canvassing, on pitching in with VBS or whatever it might be? They learn by experience. What experiences are we giving them? Pastors have a unique opportunity to give them experience, um, to, to, keep them, to have them come alongside in different ministries or whatever it might be. That's experience. And laymen and women have an opportunity, if it came up in your life, to say, hey, why don't you come with me on this or Could you do this for me? I'm not physically able to right now. Experience can teach people a lot. This is how we train the next generation. So as we conclude, we have to realize that it's a huge responsibility. It's a sacred one. We shouldn't be taking it lightly. We may think today that we do pretty well, but can I tell you that overall this might be one of the biggest areas that is failing in Christian churches today. Teaching the next generation, it's everyone's responsibility. It's a serious responsibility. You know what, unfortunately, teens are being taught today by words, example, and experience? It's okay to gossip. It's okay to be numb to the sin that's in front of you on a television. It's okay to miss church if you're too busy. It's okay to miss Sunday school, to miss Sunday night. It's okay to being worried about the one sentence pastor said that was taking wrong instead of what God had for you. It's okay not to sing in the service. It's okay not to be disciplined and have devotions every day. It's okay to be taught secular sciences and education. It's okay to know everything you can possibly know about sin without doing it. Unfortunately, if we were to look at America's history book, like Judges and Israel, when it comes to speaking, living, and experience, those are the things we're teaching the next generation. We have to be very cautious. The list could go on and on. So how does God want you to impact and invest the next generation? We all have the responsibility. We all have a different role in that. For me, I am coming from a pastor's perspective. Some of you from a parent's perspective, and some of you lay people. How serious are you taking this, parents, pastors? 
laymen and women in the church. There are practical things we can do to teach this next generation that God is deserving of our service and that church is a vital part of our life. It's our responsibility. Now tonight we're going to look at exactly what we should be teaching them in detail. But there's an importance here that we have to realize. And that is, just because you have a youth pastor doesn't mean the church of Eagle Heights is doing what we need to do to train the next generation. Just because we have godly parents or whatever it might be, it takes everyone. If we want to see a successful, smooth handoff of the baton of Christianity to the next generation, each one of us is going to have to put in work. To carefully, diligently, and cautiously make this handoff. Because why? Not because Pastor Joe matters. Because the ministry of Christ depends on it. It's what comes after us. They are the future of the church. They are the future of the ministry of Christ. Let's bow for prayer.